Uh, welcome, everyone. How are you doing? For those of you who are tuning in online or on demand or here live in person, we're so glad that you're here. What a wonderful day to be celebrating. Now, before I get started, I have to do something. There's somebody in my household that has a birthday today. They turn nine. It's my son, Declan. So, Declan, this is your shout-out. Happy birthday, buddy. I love you, man, and so does your mom and all your siblings. We're going to have cake later today. Okay, so that taken care of. Here's what I want you to think about. What's the craziest thing you've ever done? What's the craziest thing you have ever done? I have a number of those in my story, and I'm going to tell you just one of them this morning, and this one is entitled, Anything for Love. I happened to be a high school student at the time, and a group of my friends, it was winter, and we were wanting to have some fun escapades in the snow out west, and so we decided we should go sledding and all that stuff that you do with snow, and I happened to be in a minivan with the girl that I was into, and I thought there's one way that I can make her notice me in the moment, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump out of this moving vehicle. And so I slid open the sliding door, and away I went, and I stuck the landing, and it was amazing, and it was awesome, and it was one of the craziest things I'd ever done in my life. However, I ended up marrying that girl. So I guess it worked. If you think about it, life when it presents itself to us, is a little bit about risk management. What should I do? What shouldn't I do? If I'm investing financially, saving for my future in some kind, I'm trusting that my financial advisor or myself, if I'm doing it on my own, I'm trusting that what I know in terms of the market is going to be what I need in the moment so that my investment's going to pay off in the future. I'm taking a calculated risk. A calculated risk that when I retire, there's going to be something there to live on, and it's not going to be nothing. Some of you are getting ready to go back to school in class. You're going to take a calculated risk that as you go to school, you're not going to get sick with COVID-19. We take a calculated risk when we go to the supermarket or run an errand or say hi to a neighbor or go in for the hug, even though we're not supposed to. We take calculated risks all the time. Living a life worth living isn't mitigating all the risk, isn't living a boring life. It's living an intentional, strategic, God-initiated risk sort of life. What does that look like? What does that mean? What does that feel like? Well, this morning we're going to dig into that a little bit more as we continue on our series, Bears, Bees, Bald Guys, and Barbecues, A Life Worth Living. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to encourage you, flip with me to 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going to camp this morning. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. We're going to learn a little bit from Elisha and a brand new character that gets introduced into his story, a man named Naaman. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1, first 14 verses I will be reading this morning. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, 
I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram, uh, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of instruction or introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, This man sends me a leper to heal? Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard, the king of, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out and meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call in the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farfur better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says something as simple as go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's, and he was healed. Lots going on there. Two big ideas I want to leave you with today. The first is this. God is for everyone. God is for everyone. Well, Jason, where do you get that from? Well, let's look into this character called Naaman. Naaman just so happened to be a non-Israelite. The Israelites were known as God's chosen people. Naaman was not a part of that community, and yet God is for him in this story. Now, here's what's really interesting about Israel and the place where Naaman is from, Aram. On the screen, you're going to see a moment, a map of this kind of time period. Israel and Aram were neighbors. They shared a border to their north. And the challenge between these two countries is that they were regularly at war with one another. In fact, over 150 years, it was off and on that they were fighting one another over something. So when you read into this story that Naaman is sent, first of all, to the king of Israel to be healed, you understand the response of the king going like, wait a minute, my ancient enemy is here to just pick a fight? Perfect. Awesome. In fact, if you read on in this story a few chapters from this one, you'll find that they indeed are at war once again with one another. It's just off and on, continuously. It's like they were siblings or something. 
They're always fighting about something. Just get along, for goodness sake. Yet God is for everyone. It says in the beginning, verses 1 and 2, we're introduced to Naaman, and it says that God gave Naaman essentially favor. He allowed him to win victory after victory, battle after battle, even battles against God's own people, the Israelites. Well, why would he do that? Because God is for everyone. I can't overstate that. Sometimes we read the Bible or we hear different verses from Scripture and we go, there is no way that God is for people in this moment. He absolutely is. See, this small segment of his story is just a part of one huge, massive, unfolding meta-narrative, large story called the whole Bible. And from beginning to end, it's chocked full of time after time where you see God for people in a variety of different ways. And this culminates for me as I read in the New Testament about the stories of Jesus. Jesus, fully God, fully man, at the same time, chooses to live out his human experience on earth and then accept a death on a cross to raise to life three days later. That death and that resurrection gives you and I the opportunity to have and experience eternal life after our human experiment here on earth. And here's the cool thing. Jesus died full well knowing that some of us will believe in him and some of us won't. And yet he still died for all of us. Not part of us, not some of us, not those that had hair and those that didn't. He died for all of us, every single one of us. God is for everyone. We don't understand the ways that he works all the time, but he is for everyone. And Naaman is experiencing this unknowingly as God has given him favor to win battle after battle. Favor to the point where the king of Aram notices and values the contribution that he brings to his country. Naaman, though, has a big secret. He's a leper. Now, a leper was somebody and a phrase that was used to kind of categorize any sort of facial or, or body like disformity, dysfunction. It could have been like eczema on steroids, boils, you name it. All these things that were externally visible to one another. And back in this time period, when you had a, some sort of disease like that, people thought that you were cursed. So even though that he was winning the battles that his nation was fighting as a general of the army, people wouldn't want to socialize with him because he looked sick. He looked ill. It's kind of like when you walk into a public space right now and somebody isn't wearing a mask and you're like, whoa, I'm not going to go anywhere near that person. They might have COVID. But we don't know their story and why they're not wearing one. People didn't know Naaman's story, didn't know what the king thought of him. All they saw was his external appearance. And so he had a trouble that he had to deal with in a really honest way. He couldn't hide it. Everybody saw it. Good thing God is for everyone. Are you for everyone? Am I for everyone? I can't help but think that what is going on in our world today, that cannot be said of us as humankind. 
when we see atrocity after atrocity, that we inflict pain on one another, when we see another example of police brutality south of the border where a white officer attacks a black man. Regardless of the circumstances surrounding that interaction, I got to say, it is very difficult for me to think and say, hey, we are for everyone in the moment because it doesn't feel like it and it doesn't look like that. We're racist. We discriminate against one another. And that is not the way of the Lord. If God can find favor in somebody that isn't connected to his people and a man named Naaman, why can't you and I do the same? Are you for everyone? When you see a person of different color, what comes to mind? Fear, anxiety, disgust, trepidation, apprehension? If that's your emotional response, i got a newsflash for you. You are not for that person. And God is inviting you to be a part of his unfolding story here in the world. And that means being for everyone, even if you don't agree with them. Well, how does that work, Jason? Well, some of you might be happy to know. I happen to be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Others of you are now filled with fear and anger and disgust and frustration. You know what's really cool? The gentleman that occupied this role as lead pastor of Centennial Road Church previous to me happens to be a Montreal Canadiens fan. And if you're a hockey fan at all, you know the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs do not like each other. And their fan base do not like each other. But what's really cool is Pastor Eric and myself can be for one another, even though we don't agree with one another about who is the superior hockey team. You can be for someone and not agree with them. And this is where we get it wrong as a society and a culture. We believe that being for someone means you have to agree 100% with who they are, what they do, or what they stand for. That is not true. That is not true. You can be for somebody and not agree with where they stand. I am for Pastor Eric, but I don't agree with his choice of allegiance when it comes to hockey. And he doesn't agree with me. And that is okay. Because the Leafs will win one day. (laughs) You can be for someone and not agree. God is for everyone. He doesn't maybe agree with the way they're choosing to live, but yet he is still for them. He sends his son to die for them. Are you for everyone? The second big idea that this story just screams out to me is that God sees what we don't. God sees what we don't. What you and I don't, God sees that. See, Naaman comes to this whole reality and he builds up this idea in his mind of what his experience is going to be like. He's like, okay, if this guy can really heal me, then something cool is going to happen. Like he's going to greet me and my entourage. He's going to accept all these bountiful gifts that I am here to bring. And he is going to wave his hand like a magic wand and heal me instantaneously. And it's going to be amazing. And it doesn't live up to his expectation. He goes to Elisha's house waiting for him to come out and greet him. Elisha doesn't even leave his house. He sends a messenger. He's like, hey, go tell him, do this. Like, talk about an insult. 
You're like, what's going on? You don't even have the courtesy to say hi to me face to face? Furthermore, he gives them some basic instructions. Go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times. Now, the Jordan River, you've got to understand, is not like the St. Lawrence River. It is not pretty. It is not pristine. It is not nice. It looks like a muddy slough. It looks like a couple of thousand people bathed in there, and they were really dirty, and it all stayed in the water. So, of course, Naaman responds going like, I got, there's way better, like, fresh water back home. Come on. Like, why would I want to dip myself in there. I'm going to have to take a shower after taking a shower. It's kind of like showering in soft water, you know, where you just feel slippery and you're like, what? I, I, I got to shower again. I don't feel clean. He's frustrated because it didn't go the way that he intended, but yet God sees what we don't. See, what Naaman doesn't understand is God invited him into something larger than he can probably comprehend in the moment. See, the Jordan River, although not pristine or pretty, represented something significant to the people of God. See, that was where they experienced God's power in a firsthand, real way. Their ancestors were able to cross this river on foot where it's not typically able to be crossed because God made a way forward for them. It's like you and I, when we have something monumental and significant in our lives that we experience, like the first time we held somebody's hand that we were slightly romantically interested in, or we welcomed that newborn baby into our home, or we got that job that we always wanted to, that promotion, that idea. Somebody noticed us for our hard work. Those moments, those memories, they stick out to us, and sometimes they're associated with different places as well. What's really cool is God sometimes functions similarly as this. There's different places that hold a special place in his heart and mind as well. The Jordan River was one of those. The Jordan River was a space where his people trusted him. They had an experience of him as a loving, caring, heavenly father. They trusted him that he was going to make a way forward, even where there, there looked like there was no, impossible, or no possible way forward for them. And Naaman gets invited into this story unknowingly. He doesn't know the history. He doesn't know the meaning behind it. And Elisha says, God tells me he needs you to go wash in this river and you're going to be made clean. So he's frustrated. He's angry. It's too easy. And it doesn't make sense. It's too easy and it doesn't make sense. So therefore, I, I'm not going to do it. Thankfully... Members of his entourage had their heads on straight. And they wrestled with him and said, look, commander, come on. Like, if he had asked you to do something impossible, would you have done it? Of course, he's a warrior. He's a soldier. I would have done anything. So why wouldn't you do something as basic and simple as go wash yourself in the river? Sometimes the things that God asks us to do don't seem significant to us. Well, why would I do that? It makes no sense. But God sees what we don't see. God sees what we don't see. Saying hi to that person that you've never said hi to before, that might be the life-changing moment for them. 
We don't know what they're wrestling with, the questions that they're asking, the curiosities that they have. Maybe they're walking into a space and thinking like, if, if somebody doesn't notice me today, then I'm going to just take matters into my own hands and I'm just going to just disappear forever. The things that God asks us to do, they might not make sense to us in the moment. We might not fully understand, but over time, we recognize that God sees what we don't. In the moments, the risks that he invites us into pay off in a big way over the long term because, again, he sees what we don't. I don't know how long that conversation between Naaman and his entourage took, but finally he relents and he's on his way to the river. He gets there and he starts washing. And I got to think, like, what would that have been like? Is he counting out loud? Is everybody cheering around? cheering on from, like, the banks, and one, two, like, is he doing it by himself? Is he, after time four, going, like, really? I got three more to go? I swear I just saw a dirty diaper float by me. Like, I'm not doing this. Seven times, the seventh time, he pops up out of that water, and his skin is pristine, The text tells us it looks like a young child's. We don't know how old Naaman was at this point, but there's something about a newborn baby. You smell them, and you're like, whoa, that is next to godliness right there. Like before the diaper's full, of course. His skin is pristine. The story continues, and we didn't read this part. He's absolutely floored that God is who he says he is. He goes back and he tries to shower gifts on Elisha. Elisha has none of it. And he's like, no, it's not about me. It's about God. And from that moment forward, Naaman dedicates his life to worshiping this only true God. He becomes a missionary to the northern neighbor of Aram. Representing God's hope and will and story in that context. And it was powerful because here's Naaman, who used to be the leper. He had the skin condition, and now there's not a trace of it. It's a powerful story to tell. You and I get invited into stories like that, but only when we recognize that God sees what we don't. And the risks that he invites us to take are risks that will pay off in the short and the long term in his time for his name's sake. God is for everyone. And God sees what we don't. Living a life worth living recognizes those two foundational ideas and chooses to live from that place. So let me ask you and myself this. Are you for everyone are you for everyone take some time this week and examine your life is there any shred any space any thought that needs to be eradicated and ripped out of me so that people understand as a representative if you've got a relationship with Jesus as a representative of God's love that wherever you go the people that you encounter understand and know that God is for them if the answer is no 
do some soul searching. What part of you needs to change? Do you need to change the way you think, the way you see people, the way you act? What risk is God asking you to take so that somebody understands that he is for everyone? Or where do you need to trust? Where do you need to trust? Would you do anything for love? Where do you need to trust that God is going to show up right in the moment? If he asks you to do something that doesn't make sense on a human level, but you know it's from the Lord, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to take that chance? Or are you going to fall into the trap that says, hey, you know what, God, I know better than you do. My son, Cannon, loves to play with Lego. He's an amazing artist and builder. The creations that he comes up with blow my mind. Like, when I was a kid, I was building boxes. Like, woohoo! I got a box of Lego. He's got elaborate cities and vehicles that he designs. And as the creator of these things, what's really cool is none of these created things ever tell him as creator what they're made for, what they're meant to do. It's not like the Lego creation just kind of starts talking to him one day and says, actually, Canon, I'm not a Canon. I am a bowl of fruit. Like, it doesn't do that. The creation responds to what the creator's initiatives are. You and I are created beings, created by a loving God that is for everyone and sees what we don't. Why then, at times, do you and I seemingly think it is well in our best interest to tell this creator that maybe he made a mistake? Maybe we know what's best. And the cool thing about God is he is for everyone, and he welcomes that conversation. But at the end of the day, you've got to call the idea for what it is, and it's just insanity. God sees what we don't. Are we willing to trust him? Trust him in that moment, even when we don't know what's on the other side of that moment. If you want to live a life worth living, You've got to live in that space, being for people. As Jesus said, loving God and loving people as we love ourselves and trusting that God sees what we don't. So this morning as we go to a time of prayer, I am going to invite you to examine your own heart, your own story, and ask the Lord what it it is that he wants uh, you to take from our time together today? Is he going to show you something where you need to change, shift, grow, think differently? I don't know, but I know that he does.